Before we begin our tour study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I want to talk to you this morning about the development of spiritual understanding and the connection that that has with faith and with hope as well. And I want to speak to you about our spiritual abilities to see, hear, and understand. We have each been given those abilities, but we need to recognize them and we need to develop them. So let's begin this morning with Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 through 4. Now, this is from the end of last week's Torah portion, but I think it's very useful for us. Starting in verse 2, Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials those signs and great wonders, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. Now, the people who were in Egypt who came out experienced incredible miracles, and yet they were not transformed. And because of that, because of that, they did not go into the land of promise. It was the generation born in the, along the wilderness journey that would go in. So Moses is saying, you experienced miracles that God performed. You went through incredible trials, and you experienced miraculous deliverances. But you still have not received a heart that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. And so the eyes that see and ears that hear, those are, those are spiritual faculties. And we can learn from this that neither miracles nor personal experience are sufficient in themselves. The miracles that we see, the experiences that we have of God at work in our very lives, they're not guarantees of transformation. Some people think that miracles are always the key, but they aren't always. That's what Moses is talking about. The condition of our hearts and how we understand and interpret and respond to things, these are most important. How we interpret how we understand, how we process, how we see it all. What we tell ourselves, what we say out loud, what we think about, the way we hear things and process things, all of this is essential. I want to say it again, essential. Essential means absolutely necessary. Essential means indispensable. I like the Latin, sine qua non, without which nothing. When you don't have this, you don't have it. You don't have anything. The condition of the heart is essential. 
So it's essential to have hearts that understand. It's essential to have eyes that see. It's essential to have ears that hear. And we all have the potential to see and to hear and to understand in a spiritual way. And even though we have this as an innate capacity, we need to develop that capacity. And we're going to look at scriptures today that help us learn how to develop and cultivate our hearts and how to develop spiritual understanding. Now, I want to start with an idea that is familiar to a lot of Jewish folk, but I want to make it clear because you may not have thought about it, even if you were born in a Jewish family or raised in a Jewish family or raised with synagogue experience or without, you may know this, that the Jewish people value good questions. But the scriptures teach us, it's not just for the Jews, it's for all of us. Good questions can help us develop spiritual eyes that see and spiritual ears that hear and spiritual hearts and minds that understand. Now, I'll give some examples of some good personalized questions that we can ask. Here's a question you can ask yourself. What is going on in my life that I don't know how to understand? I don't know how to interpret. That's a good question to ask. A good question to ask of the Lord. Lord, what am I not seeing or understanding correctly? Another question, and this is a great question to ask the Lord. Lord, I don't understand why this thing is happening or such and such is happening. You fill in the blank. You can say, Lord, I don't understand what it means. You can say, Lord, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. Lord, I don't even understand how I'm supposed to feel about it all. These are good questions, and it's good to ask such questions and to ask in prayer, to ask carefully and with a heart that desires an answer. The kinds of questions that I just went through are personal, they're intimate concerns, and you know what? They depend on honesty and they depend on humility before God. We will not ask those questions if we don't want to be honest with the Lord. Or if we don't have humility before him, humility in this sense, wanting to hear an answer so that we can then act on the answer to hear and to do. And we all know that there are sometimes we don't want to ask the Lord a direct question because we've got an inkling of what the answer is already and we don't like the answer. How many can relate to that? We can also share these questions with trusted spiritual friends and leaders. And as you're studying the scriptures and you're praying and you're fellowshipping with the Lord, you may be surprised when he gives you answers to your questions. There have been many times in my life when I had serious questions of the Lord and I was asking them, but I didn't get an answer. And then it was 
during worship at a service when my mind was on something altogether different and we were worshiping the Lord and my heart was in worship and I was paying attention to the Lord, it was then that he answered me. Now, I want to tell you something that good questions, asking good questions is an important part of learning. And anybody here who's around 12 years old, 12 years old or older, I want you to pay careful attention to this. When Yeshua was 12 years old, he made an impression because of the questions that he asked. So Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 47 tells us this. Yeshua's parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Pesach, Passover. And when Yeshua was 12 years old, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. <clears throat> and as they were returning, after spending the full number of days required, the boy, Yeshua, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Instead, they thought he was somewhere in the caravan going back. And they went a full day's journey. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. And then after three days, they found him. in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Let's get those two parts, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. How old was he? Twelve years old. Twelve years old. Is there anybody here who's already twelve years old? <laughs> anybody here who's been twelve for quite a while? Or has had multiple twelve-year birthdays? This is for us. I don't think Yeshua just started when he was 12 years old. I think he had been developing this. And I've noticed that even little, little kids can be spiritually alert and aware, and they can ask great questions, and they can notice things. In fact, my wife Sandy always loved to go with our grandchildren on walks when they were very, very young. And she would teach them about the beautiful flowers and trees that they were seeing. And they would point out to her beautiful things that they saw. And you know, when you take time and you spend time with little kids, you get new perspectives because they see things in a different way. And such children can continue and they can grow, they can be alert. And when they're nurtured to take notice of the beauty of what God is doing, 
and the beauty of the world around them, and their hearts are tender, and they can talk to you about such things. You know what? They develop, and they grow stronger, and they grow up. I think that's, that's normal. It's something normal for children, and it can be normal for us. And I think Yeshua, as an example, is teaching us something about how a 12-year-old can make a difference. A 12-year-old is already old enough to begin to think about such things and to listen carefully and to spend... I'm not sure if I'm doing the math right. They went one day out and found out he wasn't there. And then they went back. So that took another day, is that right? And then it said... After three days, they found him. Okay, so here's a math quiz. How many? There you go. Five. I think it was five days. Five days. And Yeshua was engaged in spiritual activity and study. He was listening, and he was interacting, and he was asking questions. And not only that, he was being asked questions because that's part of the process. You ask questions and you answer questions. And questions are asked of you. He was listening to them and asking questions. A wise person, no matter what the age, will both listen and ask questions. And a wise person will listen and ask questions and also answer questions and say what they think. And the people were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Let's move to this week's readings, which start in Deuteronomy 29, verse 9. I think it's starting in 10 in the English. Today you are standing, all of you, before Adonai, your God, your heads, your tribes, your leaders, your officers, all the men of Israel, along with your little ones, your wives, your foreigners here with you in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water. The purpose, let's say that together, the purpose The purpose is that you should enter into the covenant of Adonai your God and into his oath, which Adonai your God is making with you today, so that, let's say that together, so that, so that he can establish you today for himself as a people and so that for you he will be God. As he said to you and as he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the Lord is expressing the purpose of the gathering. It's a covenantal purpose that is meant to produce stability in each person's life 
whether they're young or old, whether they were born into a Jewish family or not, whether they have high status or not, the Lord wanted to make covenant with that group and to establish them solidly. So he could raise them up and to give them stability. I think the idea is echoed in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, that says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to keep standing. You know, it's one thing to stand your ground and when it's all over, you're on the ground. It's another thing to stand your ground, and when it's all over, you're still standing. And this is so that you will be his people, and I like this detail, for you, he will be God. Now, he's already God. And this is not about that very modern idea about your truth. Well, your truth is he's God for you. No, he's already God. For you, he will be God because you accept the reality of him and you recognize that no one else and nothing else deserves your highest loyalty and commitment or your love. He wants to be God for you. And as Moses is speaking, he wants to open up the hearts and the minds of the people. He, he speaks in a way that helps them adjust their focus and get their attention so that they are considering what's really important. He wants them to take careful notice of something. The variety of people who are all around them. There are leaders and there are little children. Isn't that interesting? In a lot of modern culture, especially religious culture, children are always removed from adults for worship and study, etc. And it's important to have, um, have age-appropriate learning experiences, but it's also appropriate to have experience where all of us are together, all ages. When I was young and go to synagogue with my dad, and there'd be some times when he would notice that I was a little bored or distracted. And we had uh, at synagogue, at our synagogue, we had two books that were available for every single person who were there. One book was the Siddur, and this had Hebrew prayers in it, including uh, many scriptures, psalms and other scriptures. And we also had a Chumash, a Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Hertz's Pentateuch, Hertz was uh, one of the chief rabbis of England. He had passed away, but his commentary was important. And we had that both in Hebrew and English in parallel. It had commentary and references and all sorts of things. And my dad would say, if, if you can't pay attention, start reading 
and find something interesting and, and do that. And so I did. And, and for that reason, I would read some things that we weren't actually covering in the service. And so I learned you don't have to be bored or distracted. You can use your capacity, whatever it is. Use your capacity to learn. Leaders and little children together, men and women together. Adults and children are together. Those who were born into the families of the children of Israel and those who were born into Egyptian families and other people groups, those who had joined from along the way, those who had great status and prestige and those who had none. And I think this is all an early indication of what God says clearly through the prophet Joel that he will do. He will touch all kinds of people. He will touch all flesh and blood. So this is important to understand that the covenant that Moses is talking about, the covenant that God makes with the Jewish people is in fact connected to God's plans for the whole earth. It's connected to the Jewish people, and then it's connected to all the nations. And I want you to understand something. It's important that we really do grasp this, that... The fact that God has love for the whole earth and all the peoples of the earth doesn't mean that he doesn't take notice of ethnicity. He values all ethnic groups, all people groups, all kindred groups, all languages. He values them all. It's not that he doesn't care about them. He does care about them, but he has so much love that he wants to show it. If, if someone says they love, they really love chocolate, and you say, well, tell me some of your favorites. If they say, I don't even have any favorites. I don't know what, I don't know what's I just like chocolate. I would question whether they really love chocolate. If someone says they really love coffee, how many are in that group? Yeah. And they don't know anything about the coffee that they love? I don't think they really love coffee. If someone says they love wine, and they actually don't know the difference between Mad Dog 2020 <laughs> MD. <yeah. laughs> and some other stuff, better stuff. If they don't know the difference, I would question whether they really love wine. If, if someone says, I really love my children, and they don't know the names of their children. <laughs> so I, I use those comparisons for a reason. God loves 
the families of the earth? But if he doesn't even know any of the families, and if he can't tell you the strengths of this family and the strengths of that family, then I don't know if it would be true. But he does know. He does know. And so when he makes a covenant with the Jewish people, it's not so that he can limit himself to that, but so that he can start somewhere and keep going. And that we can have hearts that embrace that. We can look around and we can say, I also, I also can embrace the love of God for all the nations of the world. And I can count all the peoples, people groups, as valuable and important to me. Now Moses also wants the people to take careful notice of their past. He says that they need to remember, to look back. Remember what God has said before. Remember what God has done before. Remember also those who have gone before us. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's using them. I'm going to give you a word. I wasn't sure if I was going to give this word to you. Um, synecdoche. It's a, it's a word that describes the use of one example or a few examples in order to give you a picture of the whole. So when the Lord says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he doesn't only mean them. He means also those who were with them. He means Abraham and Sarah as an example, not just Abraham. He means Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel and Leah and so on. And so the Lord is saying through Moses, remember them, all of them who went before you. And you know why? Because it helps us understand we did not start this thing. We're on a path that others have blazed. We're continuing on the path that others have pioneered. And we need to remember that. Remember that God made prophetic promises to them and then he started fulfilling them. And so there's this call to look back and remember, and then it's paired up with another call, and that's to look forward. Someone has said, you cannot drive safely if all you do is look in the rearview mirror. Moses wants the people to take careful notice of the future, look forward, look ahead, and he's he says, I'm not making this covenant and this oath only with you. Rather, I'm making it both with the one who's standing here with us today before Adonai, our God, and also with the one who's not yet here with us today. So you know who that includes? The person sitting next to you. Smile at that person and say, Moses was talking about you. <laughs> Moses. Moses was talking about you. All of us. 
And think about your children and your grandchildren and think about the coming generations, those who have not yet been born or conceived. And this is a call to us so that we would remain faithful and we would pass on all that we can. And so that we would know that we can live for God because others have lived for God. And also to help us understand there is a future. And he wants us to move forward. What's the Hebrew word for that? Kadima. I've been watching some Israeli t- TV with uh, modern Hebrew dialogue and English subtitles. And uh, it's helping me with something. You cannot believe how many times Kadima is used on Israeli TV. It's, it's used in every episode of what I watch. And it's very simple. It can mean, come on, or let's go, or now, let's go. The Lord wants us to go with him. He wants us to bring others with him. And so, you know what we can do? We set our hearts in that direction. And we can pray in this direction. We can fast and pray in this direction. Now, I want to move to the Haftor portion. And Isaiah is a mixed bag, to be honest with you. And if you read certain parts, you'll, you can be deflated. I'll put it that way. But I've picked out some parts that are positive. And I want to read from a passage that I think is filled with hope and with joy. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 10. I am so joyful in Adonai, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me in salvation. He's dressed me with a robe of triumph. Like a bridegroom wearing a festive turban, like a bride adorned with her jewels. For just as the earth brings forth its plants, or a garden makes its plants spring up, so Adonai, God, will cause victory and glory to spring up before all nations. Let's just ask ourselves a question. Who will see? All nations. Verse 62, for Zion's sake, I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out brightly and her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. So Mishpachai, I want you to grasp something. God is committed to using his people to represent him and to show his goodness in a way that all the nations of the world can see. So you and I have the great privilege, we have the responsibility to represent Hashem's goodness and his holiness, his mercy and his compassion, his justice and his truth. And so what God does with us and what he does through us And what he does on our behalf is so great that it will be visible to other people that will influence their view of God. And if you wonder if 
other people's views of God can be influenced by a single person. Just think about how many times someone has told you they don't believe because of all the religious hypocrites out there. How many of you have ever heard that from somebody? But when it's true in the negative, it's also true in the positive, and Isaiah is talking about the positive. He's saying, if you want to have an impact and represent God, represent Him well, because people will see and it will stir up faith and hope in them. Now, this is not for slackers. That's not in my notes. I just said that spontaneously. <laughs> Isaiah 62, verse 6. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never fall silent, neither by day nor by night. You who call on Adonai, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest until he restores Jerusalem and makes it a praise on earth. Now, just to be clear for those of you who are trying to argue in your minds with what Isaiah said and what I just said, of course, we're to take rest. We are to take Shabbat to rest and be refreshed. We're to, we're to take sleep, yes. The human body becomes psychotic and dangerous with prolonged uh, sleep deprivation. We need sleep. The Lord gives us rest. What is, what is Isaiah saying? He's saying, don't stop, keep going. Whether it's daytime or nighttime, there will always be some time when you need to keep working for and praying for and having your heart committed to the restoration of Jerusalem and remember, it's Jerusalem, but it's not just Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem, but it's the whole land of Israel. It's the whole land of Israel, but it's not just the whole land of Israel. It's all the earth. Let's go to Isaiah 62, verse 10. Go through... Go on through, go on through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up a highway, build it up, clear away the stones. Uh, this is not for slackers either, is it? Raise a banner for the peoples. Adonai has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation is coming, and here his compensation is with him and his recompense is before him. We're going to put on the screen, and I hope we can show this uh, on live stream as well. This is a slide, this is a picture of a medallion that, that my wife Sandy found in 2012 in France. And we were walking, she was taking a walk by herself in one area, and she looked down and she saw this medallion and she picked it up and it says recompense. It's written in French, but it's spelled the same in English, except for the accent mark. Recompense. And she picked it up and this was after 
several years of hard work that she had put in to uh, finding uh, a location for our synagogue and then working so hard to develop the synagogue, the, to, to get the design and working with professionals in order to create this sanctuary and the synagogue and the Shalom Center. And she had put great effort into it, but she also experienced uh, a heart problem, Takatsubo, which was not well known at the time. Only one cardiologist in Jacksonville knew about it. Now it's more familiar. But it was a quite threatening uh, heart condition. But when she had, she was worn out and tired, but when she saw this medallion, she bent down and she picked it up. And do you know what recompense means in, in French? Reward. And she felt revitalized, like the Lord was saying to her, I'm your reward. I've got reward for you. I will reward you. And she needed that. We all do. Here is his compensation is with him and his recompense, his reward is before him. Then back to verse 12, they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of Adonai. Now this next passage I think is really useful just as useful as asking good questions, just as useful as looking back with clarity and looking ahead with clarity. Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9. I will recall the loving kindnesses of Adonai and the praises of Adonai. It's using... Two different words, the loving kindnesses, chasdeh, is from the Hebrew word chesed, which means um, loving kindness. It also means covenant faithfulness and the kindnesses of the Lord. I will recall them. And the praises of Adonai, Tehillot, the praises, I will recall those that I've heard others say and that I myself have said. I'm going to recall them because of all that Adonai has granted us and his great goodness toward the house of Israel. Now, I love that in the Hebrew it says toward his great goodness toward Beth Israel, Beit Yisrael. And we can make that personal and we can say, Thank you, Lord. I'm going to recall your great goodness to Beth Israel, to our house, our congregation, our synagogue, which he bestowed on them in keeping with his compassion, in keeping with the greatness of his grace. For he said, they are indeed my people, children who are not disloyal. And so he became their savior. Verse 9, in all their troubles, 
he was troubled. In all of our troubles, he's been troubled. He feels it too. He goes through all of life's troubles with us. We're not alone. He's with us. He's not distant. He is not um, lacking in compassion. It says this, in all their troubles, he was troubled. And then the angel of his presence, that's a Hebrew idiom that speaks of uh, Yeshua and and any incarnation or theophany of the Lord. The angel of his presence saved them. In his love and pity, in his compassion and empathy, he redeemed them. What a wonderful Lord we have. What a wonderful Savior we have. And so as we're preparing for the new year, Let's remember that God knows our troubles. And he also knows the condition of our hearts. And he knows what needs to develop in us. And he feels for us. And understands suffering because he came down from heaven and took on human form in order to experience what we experience. He suffered the kinds of things that people suffer, and some of the worst. He did that because of his love. But he's come to redeem us, and he promises to redeem us. And so I want us to be strong in this calling. I want us to have our hearts and our minds clear so we can be strong. I want us to watch over our hearts and our understanding because that's the way to develop spiritual understanding and good hearts that will be fruitful and make a difference. So let's pray. Lord, we bring our hearts to you. We want to be straight with you. We want to be good-hearted people. We want to be honest with you and with one another. We want to be people who listen to your word and hold on to it and remember it and cling to your word. We want to hear your word, Lord, and understand it and persevere and be patient and bring forth a great harvest. Thank you, Lord, for renewing us by your word. Thank you for making a covenant of love and a covenant of shalom with us. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't forget, next Friday night, Yes. Okay. Next.
Saturday, there will be Shabbat school. It falls on that week. So we're going to have Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat service, and Shabbat school. And the Shabbat school will continue during Tashlich. So after Tashlich, you can pick up your kids um, from the Shabbat school. But if you want to, after Tashlich is done for the adults, you can bring your kids to the lake and you can have family Tashlich as well. So we're trying to do everything. And then after that, we're having Oneg, Rosh Hashanah Oneg. So um, don't forget also to RSVP with a donation of any amount through one of the envelopes in the lobby or online. You can do that too uh, for the Sukkot picnic so we get a good head count. So we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And while you're standing, I want you to think about something. There's a wonderful Oneg today with tacos and taco salad, and chile con queso, and flan, and Maria and her family, and Dulce and her family have put together some incredible stuff for us. So it's going to be tasty. And for all of you who are particip participating by live stream, You just have to imagine how tasty it is. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So from Sandy and me and the entire Beth Israel team, thanks for joining us. Shabbat shalom, everyone.